It is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire, I beat up. Week one is in the books for college football, and the NFL season is officially underway, Quentin. After watching that game Thursday, uh, got the juices flowing, Philadelphia, Atlanta. Uh, got a couple things to talk about regarding that game. Um, I'm excited to have football back. Uh, we got more college football this weekend, and we got an entire slate of games coming to you guys on Sunday. Uh, let's get to it. But there's something that the teams in the area, at least, or in the state, have to deal with this weekend. It's a wet and rainy weekend here in the ATX. That it is. Uh, it's going to be a little bit interesting to see how the Horns plan to take care of that football. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm actually going out to my first Longhorn game this week, so that should be pretty fun. I, I went to the spring game to work it, but I left before the game officially was underway. So... I can officially say I've never been to a Longhorn game. <laughs> but uh, we, we're going to go ahead and we're going to review week one. Uh, well, uh, for our Into the Fryer picks of the week, it wasn't a, a very good week for us. I was 1-4, and four, and unfortunately you were 0-5. 0-5 oh oh is not sound good. But taking the old coach's adage here, the biggest improvement is from week one to week two. You're going to hear that a lot this weekend. <laughs> you, you are going to hear that uh, more than enough times this weekend. Well, let's talk about that game that we watched last night. The Falcons and the Eagles came down late again in the fourth quarter. The Falcons could not make that final touchdown to take the lead. Yeah, uh, the Atlanta Falcons struggled in the red zone again. Um, to me, that's just absolutely unacceptable when you get multiple chances down there in the red zone to just put up one touchdown. I think three times they came away. Um, with Two times they came away with a field goal. One time a turnover on downs. At the end of the game, they failed to get the ball into the end zone again. I mean, you have got to come away with touchdowns in those scenarios. That is how games are won in the NFL. That is how championships are won in the NFL. Uh, if you cannot convert in the red zone, it's going to be a long season for you um, on a consistent basis. And I think that's why you're seeing that in back-to-back situations where Atlanta needs to score in the red zone. They're coming up short. Uh, I think part of it is they are refusing to put the ball in their running back's hands. Um, the offensive line is not getting enough push. They're putting too much pressure on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Um, Muhammad Sanu has kind of become a little bit forgotten about. Uh, I think there's just a lot of things that you can point to as to why the Falcons are not getting the ball in the end zone, in the red zone. Um, and that's that's unacceptable. That's something that you have to figure out as a coaching staff. They have to figure out, uh, as Tom Herman likes to say, the whys as to why they are coming up short in these situations. Because other than that, they look good. I don't understand how you have Julio Jones on your team and you get in the red zone three times in a row and can't score. Yeah, I mean, no the, clue. The defense looks good. They look fast. They got turnovers. They got stops. Uh, they were able to make plays. They made big plays on offense, but you have to get into the end zone. Calvin Ridley didn't even get into the stat line last night. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, but if Julio Jones catches the ball for 200 yards, you really don't need him to. <laughs> <laughs> Just in that, on that last drive, you needed a, a score from somebody, anybody. Somebody. <laughs> it seems like the Falcons have just totally forgotten about their run game. Uh, they had the best one-two punch combination two years ago. Uh, craziest output of offense in the Super Bowl's history. And... They're just slowly and slowly and slowly leaning away from that. And I just, I'm not figuring out why. Unfortunately, Devontae Freeman does have a knee injury. So they're going to be a little bit banged up next week going into their game. But they've also got Edo Smith. Edo Smith is going to be a good running back in the NFL. I really do think so. Uh, I was also impressed with uh, Deidre Sanat last night, the D-tackle. He he was getting to the ball. Uh, several plays that should have been made by the defense, but they were there making plays. I mean, uh, Rodney Poole looked good. Um, that those that linebacking core looked good with Duke Riley, with uh, Vondre Campbell. Uh, they've got a lot of speed on that defense. The defensive line looked good. Um, it looked like the defensive end, uh, Vic Beasley, went down for maybe a couple snaps, but he came back. Overall, you're happy to come out of the game healthy, um, but I think Atlanta would feel much better about their situation if they were able to 
come out of that game with the win. Uh, because for the fans, it kind of feels like we're back in the same scenario, given the way that the game came down at the end. All right, guys. Well, let's go around the Big 12 and beyond, and we will start with the Texas versus Maryland game last week. I, I did really enjoy how Maryland honored their fallen brother by taking the delay of game penalty at the beginning of the game when they first went out on offense. I thought that was a great show of respect for their fallen brother. It gave me goosebumps, uh, plain and simple. I don't really have a lot of words for it, but it was it was just great to see. Yeah, very much so. Uh, class move by Texas to, of course, you know, decline that penalty and uh, get things underway and get that game going. And, uh, of course, it's a difficult situation for that program still. Um, and coming out of that game Saturday with the win doesn't make it any less disheartening uh, for the people still dealing with that. Um, but, of course, very class move by Maryland and Texas to get college football weekend started. Now we got to talk about that game, man. It Texas came out, and they looked absolutely undisciplined. They were making crucial penalties in spots that they did not need to make a penalty in. Gary Johnson, I believe it was, got the targeting call uh, early in the game, and that you know had him out for the rest of the game, which came up to your point that you made last week on the show. Yeah, which was the defensive depth and the overall depth. Um, last week I stated specifically that Gary Johnson and uh, P.J. Locke would have to play big roles in this game um, if they wanted to come away victorious simply because Gary Johnson is the, the key to that middle of that defense, and he's really the only backer that you guys have that can go sideline to sideline. So when it came down to him getting – you know, suspended for the rest of the game or ejected from the game, if you will. Um, you know, after that point, it looked like Maryland was just able to stretch the field when they wanted to in certain spots. And, you know, that's where that depth that we were talking about comes into play. I was very impressed with someone that I didn't even have on my radar for the Texas defense, and that was Brandon Jones. He was absolutely impressive, flying all over the field throughout the entire game. Unfortunately, he is going to be out for the Texas versus Tulsa game, but hopefully they can get him back before USC because he was a crucial piece to their defense during that game. Yeah, he was. He looked really good, and uh, prior to this season, uh, there was a lot of people that were maybe ready to call him a bust. I mean, he was very highly recruited. Um, He was a player that other teams in the conference fought for. Um, SEC schools were battling for that kid as well. Um, And then over the course of his career at Texas, he's been relatively quiet. Um, In that game on Saturday, he looked exactly like the player they thought they were getting when they brought him into the program. They brought in Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster, you know, uh, a lot of very highly ranked defensive back recruits this year, and it seemed like that made him step up his game to a point. But what I also wanted to talk about is the offense came out early in the game, and they looked... Honestly, they looked like Scott Linehan and Jason Garrett were running their offense. It yeah. was plain. It was bland. It was just absolutely atrocious throughout the first half of the game. And I, I was like, what is going on? Yeah, it was completely vanilla. Uh, this Run to was, the left. Run to the right. Yeah, completely vanilla. This was my issue with the game and the offensive game plan for now the second year in a row. When I turned on the football game and watched the first couple possessions, watched through the first half, if I did not know that it was the University of Texas, I would think that Maryland was supposed to be winning the game. And what I mean by that is it looked like Maryland just had better athletes and more talent on the field in spots where it's just outlandish to think that they're out recruiting the University of Texas. That freshman that they had, uh, Maryland, Jayshon Jones, incredible speed, incredible talent. It's a receiver, right? Yeah, making people miss. The jet sweep, three touchdowns in the game. Texas used to regularly get those players that were game breakers. Your your Jamal Charles is your, your, you you know, the list goes on. There's plenty of people. Your Vince Youngs, your Lyman Swedes, your, you know, your Jordan Shipley's, any player you want to name back through the history of Texas. And these days, it's just like, where is that game-breaking playmaker for Texas that you give the ball to and say, here, get it done? And it seems like other teams have that a lot more so than Texas does now, and it never used to be like that. And 
I'm just not sure as to why the University of Texas does not have a game plan to get those players into the program. I think that they're starting to get there. Uh, the, you know, a lot of the younger players that, that, that did play for Texas, they looked very solid. Like, there is a bright future for the Texas Longhorns. One thing that, I guess, intrigued me about the game is you could tell when Tom Herman took over play-calling duties. Yeah. They looked like a completely different team. I think it was late in the second quarter when Sam, I, I believe he, I could be wrong, but I think it's when he threw a long touchdown to, I, I don't remember who, I'm sorry. I don't yeah, have, Duvernay. Yeah, Devin Duvernay, there we go. They looked like a completely different team. They looked like they had more energy. It was more upbeat. It was faster. I, just everything in general looked 100% different from the team that we saw in the first quarter. Yeah, and I I think that's you know, a little bit more so of a Tom Herman feeling the pressure of that game and saying that, you know, all right, you know, things kind of are what they are right now. Uh, we've got no other choice but to, in a sense, unleash Sam Ellinger. And uh, let him throw the football, let him do what we know that he is capable of, rather than kind of trying to protect the football so much so, uh, as you could kind of see that they were doing through the first couple possessions. I know you were talking about playmakers for the Texas Longhorns, and one that I think is going to be a very big playmaker for the Texas Longhorns in the next coming years, Keontae Ingram. His first game in the NCAA averaged over six yards a carry. I don't know. I understand late in the game why they didn't have Keontae Ingram in the game because, yeah, he's a young player. It's his first NCAA game, and the field was the field was terrible. It was that field was gone when they came back after their break. But I didn't understand how they had their four string running back in the game when you have Trey Watson and Daniel Young on the sidelines. Uh, it really made no sense to me. Either. I don't even know the guy's name. Yeah, it made no sense to me either. I mean, I think if you're I think when you bring in certain players, yeah, you're going to have, you know, depth and seniority ahead of them. Uh, But this is one thing that I've always enjoyed about watching Oklahoma football. Oklahoma puts the best 11 players on the field, regardless of, you know, seniority, regardless of what this person did this game or what this person did last year. Oklahoma is going to field the best 11 players that they have. Um, and I say that um, I backed up by Caleb Kelly, a five-star recruit from California. Um, he was benched this year, and they brought another guy who was on the bench behind him a couple years ago. Why? Because it's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? And Curtis Bolton got the start over Caleb Kelly, and Caleb Kelly's been uh, relished to the bench. That's a five-star recruit that Lincoln Riley has said, you know, you've had your time. Uh, we watched and saw what you could do. And we're going to give another guy an opportunity now. And I think Texas has to do more of that. And, yeah, those young guys are going to have that learning curve. But it's about fielding the best 11 players. And I think Keontae Ingram is the best running back in that backfield that they have right now. I agree with that. I don't think that it's a drawback to put Trey Mason and Daniel Young on the field every now and again. And I don't necessarily think that Keontae Ingram has to start for the Texas Longhorns. But he needs to play more. And I hope that we see that going Going forward and in the have season. to get him the ball. One thing I was happy to see uh, with the Texas offense was that they did make a lot more effort um, to get Colin Johnson the ball in yes. the second half. Yes. They made, a, they made a very clear effort to get him the ball in the second half, and that paid off. Um, they were able to be more productive. Um, they kept the defense off balance a lot more when they were trying to get him the ball. Of course, that comes with trusting Sam Ellinger to protect the football, Um, which, yes, he did have a couple turnovers in the game, but I think you're able to see that the offense is a lot more versatile when you let him sit back there and and throw the ball and put the ball in Colin Johnson's hands, Devin DuVernay's hands, uh, you know, little Jordan Humphrey's hands. These guys are going to help your offense make plays, and you've got to get the ball out of Ellinger's hands and into your playmaker's hands. Man, your Cam Rising prediction might not be too far off, though. Cam Rising could be the starting quarterback at the end of the season for the Texas Longhorns because the first thing that went through my mind when Sam Ellinger threw that late interception was Tony Romo. He he played well. He did have his mistakes. He did have crucial mistakes. But at the end of the game, he made that one crucial mistake 
that cost his team the game. Tony Romo has the highest QBR of any quarterback in the fourth quarter in NFL history. But it seemed like he would always make that crucial mistake at the last second. And they were always in huge games. Yeah, and that's what people are going to remember. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he never got that Super Bowl. And I don't want Sam Ellinger to be classified as that. I want I don't want to see Cameron Rise in this season. We talked about it last week. I don't. But I don't think your prediction's too far off. Uh, here's the thing that scares me about that. Is that how bad will the season have to go for Texas for Cameron Rising to see the field. Agreed. And I think those are two bad things. If Cameron Rising sees the field this year, that means Texas' season is failing miserably. Uh, either that or there's an injury, which is also not going to be ideal. Um, I think if Cameron Rising does see the field this year, it's just all around a bad situation for Texas. That it is, man. That it is. We'll go through uh, these games pretty quickly. Oklahoma versus FAU last week. Oklahoma blew out FAU. It wasn't as close as we thought it would be. I just wanted to talk about this game because I was kind of down on Kyler Murray, per se, because I hadn't seen enough of him. Man, I think OU's going to be just fine. I finally got to watch a little bit of this guy, and he's, he's electric. He really is. Yeah, he looked good. Uh, his arm looked really good. Um, the weapons that they have around him looked just fine. Everybody looked healthy. OU made it out of the game healthy, uh, which, of course, I'm happy about. Uh, the defense looked a lot better than they did last year. Uh, now, a lot of people are going to say this is Florida Atlantic. This is a team that won 11 games last year and won a bowl game. Yeah, they're uh, no slouch. Uh, returning a running back that you know had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage last year. I think he led the led the NCAA in either rushing yards or rushing touchdowns. It was uh, one or the other. Yeah, both, I believe. Man. Uh, I think it was actually both. Um, Kid's going to be a great yeah, NFL running FAU back. FAU was a talented team, and Oklahoma's defense came out there and manhandled them uh, in a way that made a lot of people very happy if you're an OU fan. Um, I was proud of what I saw. Uh, the biggest thing that I took away from that game uh, was honestly not from OU, uh, but from a guy that you talked about prior to the game, uh, was Devin Singletary. Yeah, that yeah. That, that running back is next level. Uh, he looked every bit as good as Rodney Anderson or Trey Sermon or, or any running back that, that we're going to see this year. If he's at a bigger school, he'd be a top 15 pick. I think he might be a top 50. I think I'm okay with saying that right now. Top 50 is easy for him. Yeah. I, I think we're you're big right. draft guys. I, I you think you're right about that. He could very well uh, end up being that next uh, Rashard Penny, Kareem yeah. Hunt Late uh, first, type of guy early that, second. Yeah, that you find in the draft. Uh, he was out there making moves. He he can light it up. For our other Into the Friar picks of the week last week, the only one I got right was Auburn beat Washington. <laughs> That's the only one that we got right last week. Uh, Notre Dame ended up beating Michigan. Michigan didn't look as good as uh, we thought that they were going to be. But the game that we talked a lot about that was just blew our minds was the LSU versus Miami game because LSU actually looks like they have a quarterback now. LSU does have a quarterback. They don't just look like it. They do have a quarterback. Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow, correct. Uh, yeah, that guy looked good. He was out there. Uh, he could move the ball. Um, looked like he was on the same page as his receivers most of the time. Uh, checking into certain plays that got them able to hit some big plays down the field. Stretching the defense. Yeah, they, they looked good. Um, it looked. I thought coming into the game they would be a little bit of a young team. Uh, it looked like he was able to get those guys together and have everybody on the same page. Miami did not look ready to play no. whatsoever. No, not at all. Uh, I still think they can make the playoff. Like you said, they are your pick to make the playoff still. Correct. But, I, man, they, they it's need, gonna be they a, need road ahead. a lot of changes. Yeah, um, They're still going to have to go. Got to run the table. Yeah, They're going to have to go beat a Virginia Tech team that looked really good. They're going to have to go beat a Clemson team that's really Ooh. good. Uh, they're still going to have to find a way to beat Florida State. Um, Miami has got a lot of work cut out for them this year. Um, but the good thing is their schedule is tough enough that if they can do it, they very well could find themselves in that playoff conversation. Yeah, that's why I said I think they can do it. Uh, I think they can get back into the playoff. It, it's unlikely because they do have to run the table with a tough schedule, but Miami, they've got the players to do it. Mark Rick did not have those kids ready to play. And it's kind of reminiscent of what we saw when he was at Georgia. Um, yeah, those I didn't they, even think about in that. In those big games, they just were not 
ready. And most of the big games that Mark Rick coached while they were at Georgia, um, that quarterback Rozier, he's they've they've got to find something to to replace him with. Uh, they 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 might need an automatic ball thrower. I expected like, a like lot they, like, more from him. <laughs> like you use at practice for the receivers to <laughs> to run catching drills, they might have to put one of those back there and protect it from the defense. Because uh, <laughs> Rozier is is not the guy. I'm sorry. I had a lot of confidence in him going into the season, uh, thinking that he could be leaps and bounds better. Uh, he showed that it was a lot more of the same. To That's me. some football I want to watch. Let's get a throwing machine back there. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, I mean, too much longer in Texas might be calling for one. You might be right there, man. <laughs> Virginia Tech also beat Florida State. We both took Florida State. Uh, you you changed my mind, and I took Florida State. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, Dylan. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, man. But one thing I wanted to ask you: Did you see that Texas Tech wide receiver uh, T.J. Vasher? I the, did. The incredible catch, man. I there's not really too much to say about it, but if you have not seen that catch, go back and look at it if you're listening right now. And oh man, the number one play of the week, number one play of the weekend, Sports Center's top ten, uh, NFL scouts are just drooling over that catch. Uh, he has shot up a lot of people's radars after that catch. Just for that catch, absolutely crazy. Before we take a division by division look at the NFL, I wanted to talk some Dallas Cowboys because there's a lot of storylines with the Dallas Cowboys this year. And honestly, the biggest one might be that they just cut their kicker. Dan Bailey got cut in a move that I personally didn't see coming as a Cowboy fan. Now looking back on it and seeing how well that that kicker, the rookie kicker, I'm not, I'm sorry, I, I don't really know his name. I am terrible with names. But their rookie kicker that hit a 57-yard field goal in preseason. It's a strange move, given ready that you're about to start a season in a couple of days. Um, yeah. He made a 57-yarder. Um, Dan Bailey is a little bit more experienced. They saved $3.1 million. Yeah, they saved $3.1 million. Um, special teams have never been, you know, a, a highlight or staple of the Dallas Cowboys, not since Deion Sanders was there. Um, there's been many of years where the Cowboys have struggled with field goal kicking, so I'm not necessarily mad at this move. If If, if you think the new guy can get it done, while saving yourself $3.1 million. I mean, one thing I didn't even know about, because I just think Dan Bailey, Lieutenant Dan, you know, he's one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history by far. One thing that I didn't know is the past three seasons, his, and I'm, I'm estimating here, it's something around these numbers, his kicking percentage went from 93% to 86% to 71% last year. And they they had a lot of injury concerns with him as well. So looking back on it, I did, I do see why they did make this move. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, a lot of people aren't gonna like it. It's not the best. It's kind of like your vegetables. I mean, I don't love the vegetables, but it's a healthy part of the meal. Your kicker is gonna be a healthy part of your team, um, and if you can get the same results, especially considering, as you said, um, his percentages have dropped each of the following past three years. Um, then I think it's an all right move to, you know, let him go, pay this other kid the rookie contract, and kind of keep on about your business. One thing that uh, broke recently was Troy Aikman said in an interview that the Dallas Cowboys will not miss Des Bryant at all in 2018. And I really agree with him because Dak is the type of quarterback that needs to spread the football around the field. And Des is not the type of receiver that fits Dak's style because Des is a jump ball receiver. Dak Prescott is a, I need speed, I need to hit you in stride. That's partly true. Um, another reason that I think Des Bryant um, will not be missed in Dallas um, it's because Zeke's coming back and he's going to be ready to play football this year. Uh, last I'm so year, pumped about that. <laughs> yeah, last year he came back those first four games. Um, he was a little bit overweight. Um, you know, you could tell that he wasn't really his his normal self. Um, and then he missed the weeks that he had to miss. He came back and then he had to miss time again. Um, last season was just everywhere for Zeke. I think coming into this year, they're going to be a lot more healthy, a lot more ready to play. Uh, teams are going to get a steady dose of Zeke Elliott. And on top of that, he's going to be ready to make a statement himself. When Dak and Zeke are on the field together, it is absolutely impressive. 
It's great football. It's fun football to watch. Dak makes less mistakes when he has a good running back, when he can control the clock, and where he doesn't have to do too much. He is a good quarterback in the NFL, whether people want to say so or not. Yeah. Uh, Now, here's the thing that scares me about the Cowboys offense without a Dez Bryant. Without Des Bryant in that offense, you, you can say what you want to say about his personality, about his drops, about, you know, everything else. Having Des Bryant on the field, other teams still had to game plan for him. Now that and you is, don't have Witten. Right, and you no longer have Witten, and, and that is a fact. So other teams still had to game plan for Witten and for Des, which in part opened up the offense more for Zeke and for Dak and for those other guys. Now, without having Des Bryant there, without having Zeke there, it's going to be interesting to see how opposing defenses try to lock in on Zeke and Dak and where they try to make them push that ball to. What weaknesses are we going to find in the Cowboys' offense without Des Bryant and, you know, Jason Witten there for defenses to have to hang on to? Um, Without those two there, you can imagine the box will be stacked a lot more uh, when Zeke's, you know, getting the ball when he's having a healthy game. Um, and you can imagine there's going to be a lot of room for big plays for Dak Prescott to find uh, because that box is probably going to be a lot more crowded than it has been. Um, but, but it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust uh, both offensively and also what opposing defenses do. They are Their number one receiver at the end of the year, I think, will be Michael Gallup, the third-round pick out of, I believe, Colorado State, if I'm not mistaken. Colorado, actually. Um, I'm not. I'm not I'm, sure. I'm drawing. But a blank he did here. look good in the preseason. I, I do remember you bringing up his name, and uh, he did make some big plays. I'm gonna have to look that up. That's gonna bother me. Uh, that's yeah. But as I said, though, that's gonna be one thing that that I'm gonna be interested to see this year is how defenses adjust and how the Cowboys in, in turn adjust to that as well. For sure. For sure. Another thing that I wanted to talk about with the Dallas Cowboys, and it's the last thing before we take our division-by-division look at the NFL, if you would have told me a month ago, or yeah, a month ago, or six months ago, if you would have told me before this season started that the offensive line was going to be my biggest concern for the Dallas Cowboys going into the season, I would have taken that bet 99.9 times out of 100. I don't know how you can do that, but I would do it. I'd find a way. The offensive line needs to get healthy. Uh, they need to be ready to open up holes for Zeke, uh, protect Dak. Um, that way the Cowboys can move the ball because I promise you this on Sunday, that Panthers defense is going to be at home. They're going to be jacked up. That crowd's going to be behind them, and they're going to be ready to fly around the football. Uh, Luke Keekley, uh, Shaq Washington, uh, they got players that are going to be ready to come and hit you in the mouth. And the Dallas Cowboys offensive line uh, better be prepared for that. Yeah, you've got a left tackle with a bum back. You've got a center, uh, an all-pro center, all-pro left tackle who has a bum back, an all-pro center that has Guillain-Barr syndrome who is no longer going to be playing this year. They didn't put him on the IR yet, so there's still a slight chance that he'll play within the next you know, six, seven weeks. But we'll see what happens there. Zach Martin got banged up in the preseason. Left guard Connor Williams out of Texas. He's a rookie. So you never know what you're going to get there. Lyle Collins, you know, you'll get good play out of Lyle Collins. And you'll get good play out of Zach Martin as well. But you just don't know. There's a lot of question marks that the Dallas Cowboys have. Let's go. Let's do yeah. our division by division look at the NFL. And we'll start with the AFC East. I don't think there's any team besides the Patriots that win this division. But is there any team in this division you think could get a wild card spot? Do the Bill, are the Bills the team that falls out of the playoffs from last year? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with you there. The, the Bills are the team that will not be in the playoffs this year that did make it last year. Uh, they they lost a lot. Yes, they still have uh, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, don't necessarily know what's happening with his situation. Um, but overall, uh, I think the rest of the league got better. The Pats are still the Pats. Uh, the Dolphins were bad last year, historically bad, and I think they'll be maybe a game or two better this year. Uh, the Jets are improving, but they've still got a rookie quarterback and too many other question marks around the offensive side of the ball. I think their defense is much more improved, um, but I don't see any way that you know that they beat out some of these teams in in the uh, AFC. I mean, I, I don't see a way that they beat that they beat out the Steelers. I don't see a way they beat out the Ravens, the Jaguars, uh, the Texans. 
the Colts get Andrew Luck back. Uh, the Titans made the playoffs last year. We got the Chiefs who were in the playoffs last year as well. Uh, we got the Broncos who've won a Super Bowl recently. The Raiders get John Gruden. Uh, I, I think the Bills are going to be bottom of the barrel in the AFC this year. I think you're right there. I think if there's any team that has a slight chance in the AFC East to make the playoffs besides the Patriots, I think it's going to be the Jets. I really I do. I would have to agree with that. Yeah, I really yeah, do. Uh, like you said, their defense has improved. You, you don't know what you're going to get from Sam Darnold just yet, but if he has a rookie of the year campaign and he does very well and wins the award, they could be in the playoff conversation. They very well could. Their defense is solid enough. Todd Bowles is a great coach. Uh, yeah, I just don't see any way that the Dolphins uh, have a repeat of, of last year. Completely agreed, man. Let's talk about the AFC I mean, North. The Bills. Oh. The Bills. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Well, I agree with the Dolphins, too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the AFC North. And I just want to say that the one freaking year I get Le'Veon Bell in fantasy, I've been trying to get Le'Veon Bell for three seasons now. I finally got him, and now he's holding out, and you don't know what you're going to get from him this season. <laughs> That's that's tough. I actually didn't even get to get in any fantasy leagues this year. Yeah, lonely me. Somebody should have invited me. I guess <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's my anti-socialism. Uh, but yeah, the the Steelers. I think they're going to be just fine without Le'Veon Bell. I mean, they they put up points at a ridiculous clip. Uh, probably one of the best offenses that the NFL has ever seen, with or without Le'Veon. Still, uh, they're putting up fifty points in the preseason. Uh, with third and fourth stringers, I mean, they, they'll be just fine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this team's going to miss Le'Veon all that much. And I also think that the Steelers don't necessarily have a long-term plan, which is why they have not paid Le'Veon as of yet. Man, I think that they, not necessarily that they will be a better team without Le'Veon Bell, but think about it the past few years when Le'Veon Bell's gotten suspended or he's gotten hurt. There's been a guy that's got in there, and he's been their bell cow. Yeah. So I don't think they have to pay Le'Veon Bell. I know the NFL doesn't really pay running backs very much, but, man, I I think Le'Veon Bell's going to be in another uniform next year. Either that or he might be retired. He might decide that he's you know, had enough. I mean, he made his money. Yeah. I mean, he what else can you do? He made his money. Um, speaking about the AFC North, uh, the Ravens look a little bit more improved um, the Browns, of course, there's a lot of hype behind them, given the Hard Knocks show. I actually think the Bengals will be much improved this year. Really? You don't think the Marvin Lewis era is going to end this year, huh? Uh, I think the Bengals will actually be much improved this year, actually, which is tough for me to say. Um, I don't know why. I've never really been a big fan of the Bengals. I'm not a fan uh, of Marvin Lewis. <laughs> nor have I been a fan of Marvin Lewis or the way that that organization has been run. Uh, but watching them in the preseason this year, they look like an actual football team. The AFC South is the Jaguars' division to lose, for sure. You've also got the te- the Titans in there that made the playoffs last year. The Colts with Andrew Luck coming back. You don't know what you're going to get from them. As well as the Texans that could very well be in the playoff hunt. And I think I'm going to go ahead and say that I think they get a wild card berth this year. I think the AFC South, along with the NFC North, actually ends up being the most exciting two divisions in football this year. I think that battle between those two divisions is going to be neck and neck all the way through. I don't see anybody really getting too far ahead of anyone else. Um, the Jags, the Titans, the Colts, the Texans. Uh, the Texans were, were primed last year, and they get Deshaun Watson back. The Colts get Andrew Luck back. The Titans made the playoffs last year. We know what the Jaguars did. I mean, that AFC South division is stacked. Same thing when we go to the NFC North. The Vikings get Kirk Cousins. Aaron Rodgers just got a great new deal. The Bears get Khalil Mack. Uh, it's it's insane. I snagged up their defense. Yeah. I snagged up their defense in, in my fantasy league. Had to. Yeah. The, these two divisions, I think, are going to be the most too interesting to watch throughout the course of this NFL season. I agree with that. I'd also throw the NFC West in there as well. I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to do very much, but... The 49ers, Seahawks, and Rams are probably going to duke it out for that division all year long. Yeah, yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. All right, so let's talk about the AFC West. What's going to happen with your Chiefs, man? I'm a little bit concerned about my Chiefs. I'm a little bit concerned about my Chiefs, honestly. Offensively, um, I have no concerns uh, whatsoever offensively. Um, I do think our you know left guard spot could be a little bit stronger, um, but I'm I'm okay with it. 
Now, as far as defense, that is my main concern. Uh, we don't know that we'll have Eric Berry back yet. We lost Marcus Peters. Uh, we bring in uh, we bring in Reggie Ragland. He came in last year, and then we also get Anthony Hitchens from the Cowboys. Um, it seems like our defense is kind of a makeshift unit right now. I mean, we brought in Kendall Fuller. Uh, we drafted Armani Watts, great, the young safety. Great bringing, by the way, with Kendall Fuller. Yeah, yeah I, I love the pick, and I also really like Armani Watts too, uh, the young safety we brought in from Texas A&M in the draft. Um, there's just a lot to be figured out right now with the Chiefs' defense, and we did not get pressure on the quarterback last year um, at any with any consistency. Um, D. Ford was hurt. He's coming off an injury. Justin Houston's been up and down. I'm just not entirely sure what that defensive line is going to look like outside of Chris Jones. This is probably the most unpredictable division in football for me because I think 9-7 and seven could win this division. I think you're right about that. I think you're right. We got the Chargers. Uh, you know, they're always a hit-or-miss team. Uh, they'll lose five games and, you know, win eight straight. And, you know, you never know what you're going to get from the Chargers sometimes. Uh, the Raiders, of course, get John Gruden. They <laughs> lose a huge piece in Khalil Mack, but I, I expect them to challenge very, very tough. Uh, they also brought in Jordy Nelson on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they've got weapons. The Broncos, they get Case Keenum. They brought in Cortland Sutton, a uh, young receiver. I'm just... I'm I'm just not sold on the Broncos. Um, I think their defense will be better this year, and I think that's what they'll be able to hang their hat on like normal. But they also they lost to keep to leave as well. Yeah, if, they did. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I'm I'm just not sold on the Broncos. For me, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, I think John Elway has to answer a lot of questions about what's happened to this team since they won that Super Bowl. All right, well, let's go on over to the NFC, and we'll talk about where Aqib Talib went because he went to the Los Angeles Rams. It's the Rams' division to lose. They've made a lot of moves. They just signed Aaron Donald to a huge extension. They've gotten Dominic Sue on their line now. They've brought in Aqib Talib. They brought in Brandon Cooks from the Patriots. They, they got so much better. Marcus Peters. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they've they've got everybody and anybody at their disposal this year. Uh a lot of people might think that it's the Rams Super Bowl to lose. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I definitely do. I think that it it or it's not a stretch to say that because I think the Saints can beat the Rams. I, I do believe that. I, I think that the Saints are gonna be a really good team this year. I don't think that anybody else wins the NFC West. But don't sleep on the Seahawks this year because they've got one weapon that it's crazy to say, but their punter is gonna be a huge weapon for them this year, especially when their defense is down. No, that that is uh, definitely true. Uh, being able to change that, change the field, uh, makes a huge difference to your defense and what they have to go up against, um, and just the overall game planning perspective um, defensively. I think that makes a big difference. The Niners are also going to be much improved this year. Uh, when they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo last year, I think he went like five and zero, six and zero. So we'll see what happens there. That's. That's something to watch in the NFC West because I think the Niners have a chance to be a wild card team. And the Cardinals will be healthy this year, so that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we all know what David Johnson and uh, is capable of at his best. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, they bring in a young wide receiver in Christian Kirk. Uh, they still have got you know, that defense that was very, very capable of making plays and getting turnovers when they needed to uh, last year and in recent years. Um, so I think that very well could end up being an interesting division. I think the Rams come out of it. Um, I think second place is going to be a toss-up between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Yep, it just depends on their head-to-head matchups this year. And I think the 49ers very well could be the second-place division team. Or second-place team in the division, should I say. The NFC South was the strongest division in football last year. I believe they had three teams make the playoffs. The Saints won the division last year. The Panthers and Falcons are always good. The Bucks aren't going to be very good this year, I don't think. I don't have a lot of confidence in them. But one thing I wanted to talk about with the Saints is I didn't understand what they were doing going out and getting Marcus Davenport because they traded up, and I was like, when they traded up, I was like, oh, they're going after Lamar Jackson because they traded up to, I believe it was pick number 15, and then they took Marcus Davenport, which I don't think that Mark and Marcus Davenport is going to be a terrible player in the NFL by any means, but he's a project. He was one of those... Freak athlete, freak athlete kind of defensive ends. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
very similar to a lot of people may or may not remember this guy was came did not make it to the league but had a lot of hype surrounding him uh coming out of the University of Baylor uh which was Sean Oakman I think that he has a lot of that in him he has a lot of raw talent uh, but obviously the Saints see something that they can develop for years to come that think that he can be a staple staple on that defensive line. I mean, he's got all the tools. He's got the size. He's got the arm length. He's got the speed. Um, he plays with the fire in his, in his heart. Uh, I think that they believe that he could be a be a all-star for them or a pro bowler for them, if you will. Um, I think they traded come. two first-round picks for him. Yeah. Is, is what kind of got me because – I'm looking at it from a, my best player, my quarterback, his career is winding down. And I understand going all in to get the player that you want when you're trying to be aggressive because your quarterback's going down, but he's still a very raw player, and I don't think that he's going to help until the Drew Brees era is over. But they did get their successor. They did trade for Teddy Bridgewater. They did get Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Drew Brees' health. Um, because this team is poised to make a run this year, should anything unfortunate happen to Drew Brees, you don't want that to be the reason that this team can't continue on. Uh, A la, you see, that's why the Eagles brought back Nick Foles. Um, A lot of people were curious why Nick Foles wouldn't go take the starting job somewhere else, uh, get paid max contract money somewhere else, and wondering why the Eagles tried so hard to keep Nick Foles there. Um, That's for this exact reason. When you have a team that's primed and ready to make a run, you've got everything else in place. Uh, if that quarterback goes down, you don't want that to be the reason that's saying we we should have had that. We were there. We were this close. That's the role of the backup quarterback. That it is, man. The NFC North that you said could be one of the most interesting divisions in football this year. The Vikings got Kirk Cousins. The Lions were pretty decent last year. The Packers are getting a healthy Aaron Rodgers back. And the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, and also have Roquan Smith shoring up that defense for the Chicago Bears. I mean, I think in the next few years, the Bears is going to be the defensive staple in football like it was back in the early mid to early 80s. Yeah, or the or the mid-2000s. That 2006-2005 yeah, Bears team, was uh, that defense was nasty. Uh, you talk about Lance Briggs. You talk, you talk about all those guys that they had on that team. I think it's going to come down to the defense in this division. That's why I think the Vikings take this, this division again. I think the Packers are going to be second place. And they. I think it will go down to the final week. Yeah, I agree. I think, like I said earlier, this could very well be the most interesting division in football this year. Um, it's been completely shooken up. Um, and a lot of teams are going to be vying to for that for that first-round bye coming out of this division. I think whoever comes out of this division for the NFC finds themselves with that first round bye. Yeah, I think they'll have the Saints might have something to say about that depending on how their season goes and how things fall into place for them, but I think a lock to get a first round bye has to be the Rams. I think they'll get a first round bye and I also think that the Vikings or the Packers are going to get a first round bye as well. But the NFC East the Cowboys, Super Bowl defending champion Eagles, Redskins, and Giants. I think the Redskins are going to be better. I think the Giants obviously are going to be better with Saquon Barkley. Let's hope he stays healthy this year so we can see what he's capable of. The Eagles brought back Nick Foles. They're getting Carson Wentz back, although he was not ready for that game last night. And the Dallas Cowboys, they've got a lot of question marks. I think it's a toss-up to say that any of the bottom three teams in the division last year, the Cowboys, Redskins, and Giants, all – all three of them could end up as the worst team in this division this year. Uh, easily, easily, uh, very easily, actually. Uh, I think that what we could see is the Giants uh, take the division lead. We could see the Cowboys. We could. I'm see not the sold Eagles on the Eagles. Lead. I'm not sold on could them yet. could see the Redskins. I think this division is entirely a toss-up. Um, I think the Eagles, you know, found their stride when everyone else was down last year in the division. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Uh, there is no more hatred amongst fans than there is in the NFC East division. Uh, there, there is no greater hatred uh, amongst NFL fans than there is in that NFC East division, uh, and that doesn't matter where you go. Uh, that's nationally. Cowboys hate Eagles. Eagles hate Redskins. Giants hate everybody. Um 
everybody hates everybody equally in the NFC East division. All right, well, it's time to burn it down with our Ends of the Fryer Picks of the Week. All right, guys, last week we didn't do so hot. I was 1-4, Quentin was 0-5, but I think we're going to do a little bit better this week. The biggest improvement is from week one to week two. Tulsa at Texas is the first game, and unfortunately we picked, we both picked Texas last week. I think it's a little bit safer to say that Texas is going to take this game. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think Texas takes this game. I think they have Texas as a 21-point favorite right now. Um, I think Texas wins, and I think they cover the spread. Um, And I think the Longhorns also need to have a very impressive game this week. Number two, Clemson is traveling to College Station this week. Do the Aggies have a chance? Uh, I don't think so. I think Clemson wins, and I think Clemson wins big, pulls away late in the second half. Um, Looks like Clemson is about a 12-point favorite right now. Um, I think they cover that. I I think they cover that, that. Defense is just, just. I don't even know what to say about that. Jimbo's first true test this weekend. Yeah, first true test. Big game between two top twenty-five teams. Number three Georgia traveling to number twenty-four South Carolina. Uh, I think Georgia wins that game, and I think they win it handedly. I know we talked about it last week that Georgia, yeah, they've got a lot of question marks, losing a lot of pieces on defense last year, and. This is going to be the test for them early in the season. South Carolina is a good football team, so we're going to see what Georgia team we have this year, but I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. I'm going to take number three, Georgia. Another top 25 matchup, number 12, USC, traveling to number nine, Stanford. And after watching Stanford last week, I am not sold on the Cardinals. I'm not sold on the Cardinals, and I'm also not completely sold on USC. Um, I, I mean, think Texas can beat USC. With, with the, I think they can. Two minutes left in the half. I mean, they're down by two to UNLV. Um, late in the fourth quarter, it's still kind of a game. I think both teams have a lot of question marks. Um, I think both of these teams could, you know, end up finishing around, you know, 13 or 14 by the time that the season's over. Um, I actually think this one's pretty much just a toss-up, but uh, just for opinion's sake, I'm going to go with the Stanford Cardinal because they're at home. Okay, that that's a good pick right there, but I'm going to go opposite. I think it's going to come down to quarterback play, and I think the freshman JT Daniels is going to shine. This is his big test. I want to see what he can do on the field before he comes to Texas next week. We're going to talk about some NFL games in our Into the Friar Picks of the Week as well. The Jaguars are traveling to MetLife Stadium to take on the Giants. Saquon Barkley's first game, and he's got a tough task going up against the Jaguars' defense. I debated about this one a little bit. This one's tough. Um, But I think I'm going to have to go with the Giants. Um, I think Jalen Ramsey ends up eating a little bit of his, uh, eating eating some of his words this this weekend. Um, He's been, you know, talking pretty big over the offseason. And I think the Giants just uh, come out ready to play a football game. I agree with you. I think I'm going to take the Giants as well. I don't think that the... I think the Giants. Come I think out. the home field advantage is going to have a, a big, big uh, factor in this game. Yeah, I, I think the Giants just come out with their new head coach Pat Shermer. Uh, completely have forgotten about last year. Um, not worried about anything that the media is saying. Um, and I think they just come out ready to play a football game this weekend. I like the Giants this weekend. The Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to Cleveland to face the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns 0-16 a year ago. But they did bring in a lot of pieces this year, and I think that they actually have a chance in this game playing at home. They definitely have a chance in this game. Uh, Mike Tomlin is uh, one of those coaches that's going to do everything that he can to make sure his team goes in there ready to play and that there's no letdown. Uh, he knows how distracting the media can be. He knows that he's get, that they're getting all the attention about the Le'Veon Bell uh, issue. Right now, um, you can guarantee that Mike Tomlin is figuring out every way that he can to have his guys ready to go come Sunday. You're going to take the Steelers? I think the Steelers end up winning that game. Uh, It looks like right now the spread is at minus five, so they got Pittsburgh as the favorite. Um, I think they are the favorite to win that game. Now, it could be close, um, but I believe in Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff, and I think they find a way to get that done. I'm going to take the Cleveland freaking Browns to win this game in Cleveland against the Steelers. 
They're not going to have Le'Veon Bell. The Browns are going to be fired up because they know it's a new season, and their record does not define them this season. So I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns. The Texans traveling to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. I like the Texans in this game. Um, I really can't give you a reason. Patriots have a lot of question marks. Yeah, the the Patriots have a lot of question marks. Uh, The main reason I like the Texans in this game uh, is because the Houston Texans fans have have sold me on, on Deshaun Watson. They've sold me on Deshaun Watson. They've sold me on the entire team. Uh, I can't think of a group of fans that's more together on their team than the Houston Texans. Uh, other, that's kind of Houston in general, yeah, though, with uh, their yeah. teams, though. Other, other fan bases are divisive. They're you know this now this guy's this this guy. The Houston Texans and their fans genuinely seem to all love each other and be on the same page and all support one another. They're they're a actual team. Uh, not to say the Patriots aren't, because we know what type of run they've had and the greatness that they are capable of when they are at their peak. But I like the Texans to win this game. I think they've got a sense of togetherness about them. They played the Patriots tough last year. And I think they come back ready with Deshaun Watson seasoned and uh, ready to come out of there with a win in Foxborough. I live with Patriots fans, so for the sake of me being able to go home, I'm going to take the Patriots in this one. (laughs) The 49ers traveling to Minnesota into that beautiful stadium in Minnesota, which was the setting for the Super Bowl last year. 49ers versus Vikings. Uh, Vikings, big. 49ers, no chance. You think so? I believe so. Um, this is going to be a big test for Jimmy G. That, yeah, yeah. That Vikings defense is my favorite defense in the entire NFL. It's hard to find a weakness anywhere uh, on that team. I, I think the Vikings come in with Kirk Cousins' first game at home, and you know he he gives Jimmy Garoppolo a, a taste of his first loss. And finally, Cowboys versus Panthers. I, I don't know if I said it. I am going to take the Vikings in that game as well but uh cowboys at panthers the panthers have a lot of question marks as well their offensive line is very banged up going into this game the dallas cowboys dak and zeke haven't played together this season in the preseason but what are you thinking here man i like the panthers in this game i i think i'm gonna go with the panthers in this game mostly just because of the x factor that is cam newton and the uncertainty of the Dallas Cowboys. And I think the Panthers' defense is a little bit better all around than the Cowboys' defense right now. Um, Granted, that could change with health or injuries or anything like that. Right now, I think the Panthers are just a little bit more ready to win. Um, They're coming off a playoff season as the Cowboys were, you know, sitting at home. And I think they come out ready to play this year. I think they come out ready to play. Their first game is at home. And I think a lot of things are going to be working in their favor, and maybe the whistles too. I completely understand that. Uh, I'm not trying to be a homer here, and I do think this game is a toss-up. I I believe that too. I think it's a toss-up. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm not going to take the Cowboys in this one, though. Uh, Most of the time, when I take, when I pick against the Cowboys, they win. So I like go Panthers. I, I like your thinking there. I like your thinking there. All right, man. Well, that was our into the fryer picks of the week. Man, I'm ready to enjoy some football this weekend. Not only do we have college, but we got NFL this week. It's going to be interesting to see. We've got some great games, a couple that we did not mention, but we will be sure to talk about them when we come back to you guys uh, next week. Enjoy the weekend, folks. Covering the hottest sports topics in Texas and the world, this has been Into the Friar. Thunder. Thunder. Thunder.